In this episode of Australian Property Talk, we're about to release groundbreaking research that maps out how borrowing powers have changed year on year from 2017 all the way to 2024. It's a two-part podcast. In this episode, you're going to learn exactly how borrowing powers have changed a lot year on year across the last seven years. You're going to learn how the direction of house prices have actually changed each time the direction of borrowing capacities have changed too. We're going to talk about how 2023 broke this link and how purchases are being made up of more equity today than debt following the house price rise last year. Curtis, how are you? Excited to release this? Yeah, going really well. Always like data-driven analysis. So like you say, we've done a fair bit of research and digging into the relationship between, you know, borrowing power, um, house prices and how that has looked over time. Um, and yeah, it's a pretty interesting one to unpack and uh, I think a useful one for people to get their heads around um, to, yeah, you know, one, understand what's happened in the past, but more usefully make some predictions about what it could look like going forward. Sure. I'm fascinated at this um, in the sense that uh, it's actually a little bit hard to do um, to track out how an individual's borrowing power, we've tracked it for a family, a high-income family, um, and, a, and a lower-income family as well, but tracking how borrowing power has changed so much every year, it's something that we can often take for granted. You know, We run borrowing power calculations every day, and we just plug them into a sort of calculator, and it spits out a result. But the calculator itself has been changing year on year based on subtle differences from policymakers, wage rises, expense rises, inflation, higher interest rates. All these changes feed through directly into serviceability calculators. That changes the amount you can borrow. And house prices are changing on borrowing power delay. It is a unique data point to work out exactly what will happen to house prices when you track borrowing power. Yeah. So like you say, it's such a big, the borrowing power numbers are such a big part of demand really. Like in Australia, um, you know, housing is a little bit unique across asset classes in the fact that you can leverage 80, you know, 90, 95%. Um, So the amount of funding that people are able to get from a bank really impacts what type of demand there is for property. So when that's why when we see a change in borrowing power, um, there is that correlation on a little bit of a lag that if someone, if the bank changes the amount that they're willing to lend to people on average, that changes the demand for housing and therefore prices. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about this research is it proves that at least from 2017 to 2022. So let's start digging into the research here. So what we have done is we have tracked out a person, a family who makes 160k each. We also did it for someone who makes 90k each as well as a household. Um, that family, we've shown how their borrowing power has changed. So let's start at 2017. This, this family could borrow a lot of money. And what happened in 2017-2018 was the Royal Commission into Lending occurred and essentially the expenses that banks would take when working out how much they will lend to you dramatically shot up. Um, so this was uh, the Wagyu um, Shiraz case that yes, I got in trouble with. Um, this was ASIC coming to the fore and effectively slowing down credit flows and reducing borrowing powers as a result. Our modeling on serviceability calculators showed about a 14% fall 
Yeah, and that coincided with around about a 15% fall in Sydney house prices afterwards. So it's a relatively close correlation there and not that big of a time lag between them. So, you know, the adjustment in house prices occurs a little bit after the adjustment in borrowing power. Um, but it's not the kind of thing that happens, you know, years later or something like that. It's a matter of a couple of months for it to, to kind of take effect on the ground. Yeah. And that was stripped into two bits. The first bit was reducing the amount you can borrow. And the second bit, and this is what really slowed down the market, was actually making it really difficult to get the money in the first place. Um, credit flows really slowed down as a result of some of this regulatory intervention. And banks just became fearful of taking on risk as a result. Getting a loan in the first place became much harder. We definitely felt that as a business. Yeah. In terms of the questions banks would ask to get a loan, uh, it became a little bit too tedious, a little bit less practical, um, and just too risk conscious. And as a result, lending flow slowed, borrow powers fell, yeah, house prices fell by its highest amount yeah, pretty much all decade during that period. Yeah. So in testing this theory, that's, you know, one data point where you go, okay, we've seen um, a change to the regula- regulatory environment, reduced borrowing powers, and then there was a similar size, percentage size change in house prices. So that's interesting by itself. But then, yeah, to unpack this theory, the question is, like, what happens when it goes the other way or what happens when there are other changes? So um, do you want to unpack, like, following 2018, 2019, 2020, um, there were some changes that basically pushed borrowing powers the other way? Um, but then... Uh- House prices were falling in Sydney at a clip, and Scobo had just won a sort of miracle election. And uh, the RBA had cut rates the month after Scobo got yeah. power, um, or getting power. Um, and what else happened? Uh, APRA also came in and changed the assessment rate. They got rid of a floor rate. Yes. So there was 7% floor rate, a long-standing floor rate in a trade's lending system. Um, they got rid of it and said, look, as long as you apply 2% buffer, that's okay. Uh, yeah. Or a 2.5% buffer. And that really led to a borrowing power boom. Um, further rate cuts in 2020 uh, when COVID hit dramatically escalated it as well. But what you saw was a mammoth increase in the amount of credit one could get. Yeah. Probably the biggest rise, uh, at least in recent history, in such a short time. This is what happens when the economy begins to slow. So if you circle back into 2019, why did they go and cut rates? Why did they go and drop the assessment rate? The reason for that is the data points for economic growth in 20, late 2018, following all the ASIC stuff and Royal Commission, it started to slowly strain to down a little bit too much. And the regulators responded by cutting rates and by uh, dropping the assessment rate. That led to a near 50% increase mm. in borrowing power. It sounds crazy when you say it out loud, but 50%. Now creating a powerful force of momentum to drive change to the market. Yeah, and to unpack those changes to the borrowing power, it was pretty much every aspect of the calculation that improved favorably. So like there were tax cuts, so people's actual take-home pay was higher. Um, yep. yep. So that immediately, you know, increases your borrowing power, the take-home pay is higher. Then the way that take-home pay or, you know, interest rate cuts mean that the, you know, effective cost of debt is being lowered. So for a given, you're earning, you're taking home more dollars per pay packet. For a given dollar, you can borrow more money. Um, And then, like you say, on top of that, also reducing the floor rate means, um, again, 
not only are rate cuts pushing up your borrowing power, but you can borrow even more per dollar of take-home pay um, as a result of that. So there were a number of factors that coincided with a pretty short space of time that basically like, you know, I'm, you know, for me, I run servicing calculators a lot of the day. I look at servicing calculators. Like every part of the calculator is up from where it was, you know, only a few months ago. Um, and when you add all those changes together, that's how you can achieve or see something like a 50% change in borrowing power. Um, in total, when you have, you know, 10 here, 20 here, 20 here, you know, you get to 50 pretty quickly. 50 set. It just sounds absolutely crazy, but that's what the modeling shows. And to break it up into components, uh, to be a little bit clearer and precise with that, all that 50%, uh, look, I needed to simplify it, I would say 25% of that 50%, so half of it was the APRA change itself. That was the biggest change. Dropping the floor rate and the assessment rate by two percentage points effectively is like um, 200 basis points cuts and interest rates, yep. at least the feed through into serviceability calculators. So that was the biggest component and made up about half of the change. Um, uh, the tax cuts made up about 10% of the total borrowing power, so 20% of the total change yep. was made up by the tax cuts. Uh, and the remainder, you know, what have we got? 50% from APRA, 20% from tax cuts, and the remainder of 30% there was from RBA interest rate cuts. Yeah, it reached the 150 or 140 bips. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Which makes sense. APRA cutting 200 basis points, RBA cutting 140 basis points, and tax cuts. Yeah, and it's pretty That was a super powerful force of momentum going into the market. And it's super, super important for people to listen in on this bit because. We are in the same setting as 2018. Now, it is very much December 2018 in terms of economic data here in Australia. The economy is slow. Retail sales is slow. Unemployment is rising. Inflation is coming down. Sure, it's too high. Baseline is too high. But it's coming down. The economy is slowing quickly, quicker than the government is going to feel comfortable with if this trend continues. So. We may be months away from a policy formula that the regulators have used once before. 2019, there was no inflation problem, so they didn't have that handbrake on them. They do have that problem today to contend with. But the tried and tested formula from those powers at the were thrown money in, literally into the pockets of Australian households and let them borrow and let them go and do things, construct, create activity into the economy. That is how they did it. Quite likely, formula for how they do it again. There's no new magic toolboxes, uh, tools that's coming in the toolbox. They likely do the same formula when it comes. Yeah, and I think the key thing that going through this exercise for us or for me has you know, put a premium on is that that transmission mechanism between the changing, changing the amount of credit that people, consumers can access and asset prices and house prices in particular is very, very strong. So, yes. if you provide people with access to credit, it gets used, which I know probably sounds a bit obvious, but there is always a little bit of a question of, okay, just because you provide, you're providing access to additional credit, does that actually mean people are going to go out and, you know, use it? Um, but hello, at the end of the day, you want a house or you want an investment. You're like, hello, mm, you can have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but are people, do people actually take up the credit that they have access to, to the maximum basically? Or when there's a change, do they, do they take up that change? Because if they're behaviorally, they don't do that, then the linkage is kind of broken. 
Um, but well, going through this exercise, when you know borrowing powers fall, you know, and when borrowing powers rise, people are utilizing that credit um, for house purchases. Like the transmission mechanism is strong. So that history of you know we've looked back to 2017. So you know that kind of seven eight year history, maybe a bit longer, uh, a bit less. But that history indicates that people react quickly. Um, so, when you're talking about, look, there could be some changes in the pipeline that are going to push borrowing, increase borrowing powers again, um, that's what, you know, for me, makes a thing like, okay, if there are going to be increases in borrowing power, um, you're, you can have a pretty sure bet that that's going to, like, people are going to take up that credit and use it. One lesson there is how active regulators have been in changing this tool up. Borrowing powers is the tool for changing how the economy goes. That's a little bit of a stranger. And you don't actually hear that in you know discussions around fiscal and monetary policy. It's something that's very much in the weeds and all the sides. But it's actually been in direct sort of beneficiary of those changes of fiscal changes, tax cuts and monetary changes, that's the rate cuts, that be through and transmit whatever the government's trying to do, whatever the regulators are trying to do, through to the economy and through to activity. Um, so, what you can kind of see as well is governments have been more active in controlling the economic cycle and using uh, powers like um, borrowed powers to help navigate that cycle up and down a little bit. They've slowed lending down when they wanted to, which we're about to get into. They've boosted lending up when they needed to. You know, there's been a seesaw up and down, a cycle up and down, the debt cycle has been sort of manipulated by APRA, RBA, and Treasury to go and create what they want out of the economy. Yeah, which to some extent makes a lot of sense because uh, controlling access to credit is a lot easier for them to dial up and down than it is, you know, say for the government to do cash handouts or big tax cuts or something like that. Um, it's a lot easier for regulators to tweak access to credit. Um, and, you know, if the RBA are adjusting interest rates, um, that's that's a lot easier to play around with on a month-to-month, quarter-to-quarter basis than some of the other changes. Um, so, yeah, it kind of makes sense that that's, that's the tool that they lean on, if that makes sense. That's one of the first tools out of the toolkit to change something. Yeah, yeah, and people respond, right? So that's the other, because if people didn't respond, then it wouldn't do anything. But um, because people respond so quickly and so immediately and either – you know, suffer the consequences of lower borrowing power or take up extra credit and use it almost immediately, they know that if they tweak something, they get a result. Yeah. Let's, um, so, hey, yeah, that's probably the key message of this podcast. 2019 period, very, very interesting. Could be a case study for 2024, which we'll talk about next pod. But let's go into the down cycle. 2022, interest rate rises again. They start hammering them. Again and again and again and again and again, 13 times. And just before the RPA start, Africa and Dial up the assessment bar by another 50 basis point, adding in effectively two rate rises into the borrowing power calculation. Well, that makes it 15 rate rises pretty much in a 15 month period, in a, sorry, in a two year period, fed through into serviceability calculations. Uh, a mammoth flow to borrowing powers, our model has it at 30% plus over the years complete shattering of borrowing powers all the way back down to near 2018 levels, taking away the entire gain in 2019 and moving straight back to 2018. A big, big reduction in borrowing powers. And what happened? You had the fastest fall in Sydney house prices recorded earlier. 
the minute that this change started happening, house prices nosedived in mid-2022. Yeah, and I think what this kind of outlines is a little bit of the boom-bust cycle of you know property as well like as you can see over a relatively short space of time you know borrowing powers can increase by such a large amount like 50 percent um and then they fall by 30 percent um the way that regulators play around with the things that impact borrowing power you can have big swings in what you can borrow in a relatively short space of time like you know borrow 50 percent more and then you know within the space of a year or two you're back 30 percent towards where you originally were um so you can have big swings and that translates to a little bit of like the boom bust cycle of housing like it's not it's not something that translates to the to prices or the economy or borrowing powers in a nice you know five you get a five percent increase per year kind of thing or you get a two three percent increase per year and it's nice and stable like it really swings hard one way and then hard the other that i think we'll leave it here actually Curtis, because we've talked about 2017 all the way to 2022 showcased how borrowing powers have moved up and down and as a result house prices have followed that direction in our next episode, I'm going to create a middle episode. We're going to talk about 2023. There was an obvious break to this link. Borrowing powers fell uh, another 6% in 2023. Yeah, house prices rose by 10%, and it's created a huge divergence. If prices rise, right, you need to come up with the money to pay for that price rise, but you get less debt. You're like, wow, it's a growing gap, which creates an affordability problem for people when they actually try to buy. So we'll talk about 2023. Why it Reasons for it. We've touched on that podcast as well. But we'll talk about the funding structure behind it. And then we're going to go into the exciting, juicy bit. In this research, in this ebook, you can find it on our website on AustraliaPropertyTalk.com.au and Confidence Finance's website. And you can jump on uh, my YouTube page, Australian Property Talk, for the full video where we go through 2024 and how potential changes starting with. The tax cuts that started 1 July, starting with potential rate cuts using what market pricing have and starting to game plan what APRA might be doing behind the scenes when they need to. When you model all that out, what does it spit out to borrowing powers? We have done that research that keeps you one step ahead of the game. It tells you what the changes be to borrowing power. And in this podcast, we've shown you that changes in borrowing power lead to changes in Sydney house price.